2: Welcome to episode 127 of the Highly Relevant Podcast, a X show where I interview the people and discuss the moments that are shaping our American and Latino pop culture. Well, this week, culture and film critic Mike Sargent joins the show to help me discuss the controversial film Joker. Is it just me? Or is it getting crazier out there? And then... We deconstruct this year's Latin Grammy debacle. Reggaetoneros are up in arms, calling classism at the Latin Recording Academy for not nominating them in the major award categories this year. Also, after Spaniards Alejandro Sanz and Rosalía received the most amount of nominations, social media accused them of cultural appropriation. Are Spaniards considered Latinx in America? Mike and I discuss it. But before I talk to Mike, it's time I give you my weekly pop culture news recap in a segment I like to call Jack (laughs) Day. Let's begin with the top movie news of the week. Almodovar's new movie Dolori Gloria is out in theaters right now and critics are praising Antonio Banderas' performance. Jordan Peele is writing and directing two new movies for Universal Pictures. Steven Spielberg has wrapped up the remake of West Side Story and Jamie Lynn Sigler from The Sopranos will join the cast of the first Voodoo original film, Adventure Force 5. In TV news, MSNBC is finally adding Alicia Menendez as a weekend news anchor. Netflix has renewed the Spanish teen drama Elite for a third season. Jersey Shore Ronnie Ortiz Magro was arrested on suspicion of kidnapping in Los Angeles. Sesame Street is moving to HBO Max and you can now catch the new Diego Armando Maradona documentary on HBO. Switching over to music, Luis Fonsi and Jesse and Joy released new collaboration, Tanto. Cardi B goes off on Axis Hollywood for using her baby as clickbait. Soda Stereo announced Gracias Totales tour with guests including Benito Cerati, Chris Martin, y Juarez. And in tech and social media news, Instagram introduces Threads, a new messaging app that looks a lot like Snapchat. Sony Interactive's PlayStation Now subscription service is receiving a price reduction. Apple now has a free repair program if your iPhone 6S won't turn on, and Twitter launches an anti-abuse filter for direct messages.
1: For my whole life, I didn't know if I even really existed, but I do. Starting to notice
2: joining me on the phone right now is none other than the highly respected, the highly relevant, the highly, <laughs> highly, <laughs> highly <laughs> Mike <laughs> Sargent. How do you like those intros, Mike? How do you like those intros? Well, I was gonna go, thank you very much, Jack Rico. <laughs> <laughs> Well, so good to have you back on the show, Mike. Mike, a lot to talk about today.
1: Oh, absolutely. 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 And and we can dovetail it all. We'll make it all. It's going to sing. That's all I'm going to say.
2: So here's my initial opinions on The Joker. I was excited to see it because I kind of wanted to see what all the controversy was about. Um, I heard it was extremely violent. And I heard that Phoenix gave one of the best performances of the year. That's what I had going into it. And I went with my brother. We sat down, saw it at the new Hudson Yards screening movie theater. I'm not sure if you know, but uh, Warner Brothers moved from 53rd Street uh, between 6th and 5th Avenue. And now they moved to the new Hudson Yards in this beautiful building where CNN is. At. I mean, everything Warner Brothers is there. Everything, uh, the whole Warner Media building is there. And they have three movie theaters. This was the giant one. So that place was packed. Here's what I thought about the film. I wanted to take a shower after I saw the movie. Mm. It was way too perturbing to me. I was looking at this and I did feel somewhat guilty for watching the whole thing. And, and, And it just felt like the initial reaction really is about how disturbing this movie is. The violence in this movie didn't feel cartoony, didn't feel like there's a distance between the fantasy of film and real life. This one almost felt like a lot of the killings in this movie almost pierced through the fourth wall, almost onto you. And that's why I felt like taking a shower. It's like, ew, man, I just spent two hours with this psychopath? I don't feel right. So once I had time to digest the movie, I started noticing that I started looking at it not from a real life perspective, but almost from a just a buffered position where I can digest, register that this is just a movie, it's not anything else. And that's when I started going, well, what did I think about Joaquin Phoenix? I thought he gave an incredible performance. Apples and oranges versus Heath Ledger. I thought that Todd Phillips did a wonderful job in terms of creating a dark, cinematic, almost European-like film Um, That doesn't feel American at all. And the only thing I can kind of like replicate it to or equate it to is the Dark Knight. But I had thought, Mike, that DC was going away from the dark movies. That their whole style now is going to be Marvel-esque. That's why we had Aquaman. There's nothing dark about Aquaman. Aquaman is as tropey and campy and cliche-ish as blockbuster movies get.
1: Cliche is is that is that a is that a word? <laughs>
2: yeah, it definitely is a word, and it's a great word to describe that Aquaman movie. So I thought that Absolutely. that tone of that film, that's where we were going, but now we're back to this dark stuff, and I kind of just don't understand what DC wants, man. They don't have an identity, they don't have a, a an aesthetic that they can hang on to. It just seems to me like every movie is just going to look completely different. And and I don't know if that's, I, I think that's part of the reason that their movies don't do well overall. Uh, because Wonder Woman is not Aquaman. It's like somewhere in the middle. Then you got Aquaman that is extremely campy. And then you got the Joker that resembles more of a Christopher Nolan-esque type of film.
1: I didn't go into this like you. I didn't go into this excited. Uh when I first heard there was a Joker movie, to me like what is the point? Why do we need a Joker movie? What the heck? And then I thought also like wait a minute, Jared Leto is going to have a Joker movie, they
2: said. That's right. I forgot and, about and, Jared Leto. Yeah, That's yeah, how yeah. like like right. he was like, he was here for a second, dude.
1: Yeah, exactly. And and I'm like, "All right, Jared Leto is supposed to have his own standalone Joker movie. Why do we need this Joker movie?" And then on top of that, how many Jokers are there supposed to be? And what is the DC universe? What the heck? is going on and then i read further that this is a standalone movie and and again i'm like i don't get the point then, then i'm reading about the violence i don't get the point but then it started playing at film festivals and got standing ovations a
2: six minute standing ovation in venice i'm like what i just okay. don't think that they watch many well, many uh superhero well, films and when they have- watch it and it's I, done on a very European like level, like a character study. They love that shit.
1: Well, I think, I think, I think that, and I think a few other things. I think one of the things that this is doing, uh, which is part of the success of of Deadpool, okay, and and. You know, and let's just say Darth Vader. Okay, bad guys are a lot more interesting than good guys. Okay, that's just in in general. That's why Darth Vader has more fans than Luke Skywalker. So that's always going to be the the reason gangster movies have always been around and will always be around. Since Jimmy Cagney to to Martin Scorsese, is because people who commit crimes are fascinating because regular people could never get to do these things. So you wait a minute, but you're also
2: kind of saying that we're all so twisted that we want. to kill people we just dude, can't do it so we want to live vicariously dude, through the killers dude
1: if you look back on civilizations okay especially european civilizations they used to gather and know, even here in america they gather for the hanging and the beheading everybody was down you bring your kids so watching violence or people you know awful things happen we're all we're all fascinated by it that that that's just a given that, that in my opinion and i think they're a little more free about it by having you know characters who are not you know actors who are not beautiful star in films who are older star in films those kind of things that's that that happens in europe not so much here unless it's jack nicholson you know so that being said i think the european audience is going to embrace things differently than we do or for different reasons but i i i also think With Joker, Joker is one of the villains in Batman who never really had a proper origin. It's like he fell into a vat of acid, and all of a sudden he's crazy, you know? But now what I feel he was trying to do and and as i watched this film as i'm sitting there and i didn't go like you i didn't go to the big theater with a whole bunch of people i went to like bryant park hotel screening room where it's like 50 seats yeah so i so i didn't i didn't get the same effect you did i i agree with you that it's cinematic but i but i realized as i was watching it what this is is what started to happen with comics coming back to that where comics like after a while how many batman or superman or you know batman and robin or or how many stories can you do okay how many variations can you do after decades of the same character you have to go out on a limb you have to do something different you have to kind of either break canon
2: or reinvent
1: or reinvent exactly so i think at this point you know as many uh you know iconic Characters from fiction, whether it's Dracula or James Bond, it, it has to reinvent itself, okay, to to survive, to keep going. And I think comic books, the graphic novel, are really what changed comic books. Graphic novels, in a large way, it's a sort of a hybrid between a novel and a comic book, in that it's 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 more literate than your average comic book, but it's still drawn with you know, it's still a cartoon essentially. It's an illustration. So I think that this is a graphic novel it's slightly heightened it's you have to suspend your discipline you have to believe that you know for instance you know rich guys know all the lyrics to a steven soundheim you know uh, uh you know song or something like that and, and are going to sing all the lyrics to you know sending the clowns to him on the subway but uh at the same time what i could equate this to is a film not only a film like taxi driver or or uh, the the De Niro the De Niro film, which clearly, you know, it's an homage to um,
2: the King of Comedy, King of Comedy. Yeah, so clearly, I just saw that like the other day.
1: There it is. So cla- casting De Niro as the talk show host is definitely a nod to King of Comedy in my
2: opinion. That's right. That's so, right. I,
1: I like that. But what I felt they were trying to go for here, okay, is similar to the movie Monster. The movie Monster is she's a prostitute serial killer. Okay, you can't really root her on, but you can empathize with her. You can understand why she became a prostitute serial killer, even though you may never become a prostitute serial killer. You're never going to do the things she did. You kind of understand, and you almost you almost like you said you you feel like you want to take a bath. You almost root for her to do what she does. And same thing with Joker, where when he kills people, did they deserve to die? No, but they are definitely people who you've had, you've encountered people who you would, you know, secretly like to do some sort of violence against. And I think it taps into that. But the danger of that, okay, is that it taps into these things with real people, there, at least two theaters have banned people wearing Joker masks or Joker makeup to the screenings, which is more sensitive than what they're doing in Aurora. In my opinion, in oh yeah, Aurora, they've upped they've,
2: security at movie theaters. Yeah. I mean, whenever yes. you got to go to a movie theater and go through a uh, security systems, bro, it, it's no longer about escapism. <laughs> well, your it, life it, is uh, is threatened
1: at the end of the day. While Joker is interesting, and it's there's no contest that that Joaquin Phoenix, you know, blew it out of, knocked it out of the park. It's fantastic performance. It's, it's you know, it's definitely Oscar worthy, but at the end of the day, did we need this movie to be made?
2: Yeah, we needed and, it. Mike. And, we needed and, it, Mike. First of all, and, what was the last origin Joker movie you've seen?
1: Well, that's my point. There is, that's what I mean. He's never had a proper origin.
2: Right. Now we're going to do it. And what is DC trying to do with Ann Sarnoff, the new CEO of Warner uh, Brothers Pictures, to put a reset button on this? She's like, look, guys, there's been way too many chiefs, not enough Indians. We need to do this right. So how are we going to move forward and do this film? What do we need? And I think they got together in a room and they said, all right, um, here's, the way here's two camps, maybe three camps of the way the new DC universe should go. Look, man, I actually think it looks like there's two camps here. There's two DC universes. There's, uh, there's at least three, dude. What do you mean, two? There's at least three. There looks like there's this dark, dark universe, the way the Christopher Nolan universe was like. Then there's this funny, campy, suicide squad one. But then the new suicide squad is going to be dark. You know what? I have no idea what they're doing. Can you make any sense of it? Well, okay, couple.
1: Yeah, I'll, sure. I'll will break it down for you. First of all, yes, like you said, there's there's what they're doing in the movies. There's what they've done that didn't work. Okay, uh, and there's what they've done that did work. Obviously, in the in the seventies and eighties, Superman worked. Uh, in the in the eighties, the other Batman worked, and then Christopher Nolan entered in this new era of superhero films. So that's a dark day. Let. Uh, what's-his-name takeover, and that was clearly uh, Snyder, and that Zack Snyder, that was- Zack Snyder. forgot that he's a horror guy, and he's gonna go dark and cynical anyway, and that's not what DC people want, other than Batman. Batman was unique among all the DC characters. All the other DC characters are kind of corny, campy characters, except for Batman. Now, that being said, what I think that they're doing, okay, because the universe you left out is the Arrowverse. They've been doing stuff on TV for over a decade. And they're, they're combining worlds. What I think that they're doing is they realize they cannot have the level of continuity Marvel has. Marvel did it, and they tried to imitate it, and it didn't work. And I think what they are going to do is what has been successful for DC uh, and has or Warner Brothers and has been successful for Marvel, even within their, their universe, is having writer-directors come in and bring their vision to something and make their choices, their casting choices. Todd Phillips is a very unique director, and he's going to have a unique take on anything having to do with comic book. The same thing with the director who's doing Batman. He's a very specific, interesting... They're letting him do what he wants in that universe. So they all are kind of in the DC universe, and there are touchstones, and there are a number of touchstones, like you said in this. I think it would be great if they, they had... An older, uh, you know, Joaquin Phoenix, you know, fighting, uh, Batman now that he's grown up and all that stuff. That, that'd be great. I don't think that they are that savvy. I think you're savvy <laughs> than they are, Jack. I'll be honest with you. Because the other thing that was really missing for me in this, and I'll have to say, if your scenario was correct, then I'd say, great. In 20 years, he's going to be a genius. Joker is supposed to be a genius. He's a madman, but he's a genius, not just somebody who was failed by the system he's a genius and i really this was more like the stuff he does that's big scale it's sort of just kind of happens he stumbles into being who he is which is interesting but i missed that kind of joker i wanted to see who he i would have liked to have seen a joker that was some sort of genius that went crazy do you know what i mean not necessarily the failed comedian that that's okay. And that's dark. And like you said, and gritty, but it's not as interesting to me uh, as, as a lot of things that this film could have been talking about because it touches upon broken government. It touches upon people needing meds and, and healthcare. It just touches upon these things. Okay. To make it realistic, but it doesn't really have anything to say about those.
2: So, things. so let's talk about the movie itself. Okay. <laughs> yeah. One of the questions I'm getting the most of from people, On social media is, hey, is this movie worth me watching? Should I invest money? Will I be bored? Is one of the key questions I'm getting. Uh, Will I enjoy it? (laughs) Another hard to answer question. Um, And I think they're looking for... Entertainment value versus the money I'm spending, and should I bring my girlfriend? Should I bring my mom? Should I bring my kids? Should I bring what kind of friend—a girlfriend? Uh, uh, is this just a guy's movie? Is it a woman's movie? Can women go see this and and find some sort of joy in the film? Jack, These can are I just the questions say,
1: pe- people ask you a lot of
2: questions. <laughs> 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 yes. Yes, and I am more than, than than happy to try and respond to all of these, but you know, th- this is a very complicated film, and I thought that you and I should unspool this for a little bit for them. Um, sure. Who are interested. Okay, so a guy's going to the movies on a Friday night and he wants to watch The Joker. First question, should I take my kids, should I take my girlfriend, should I take my mom, should I take my my buddies? Who should go see this film, Mike?
1: First of all, I'd say mom kids know okay but i would say you know this is what this is is sort of like what you mentioned earlier it's sort of a european slash independent take on a comic book character you know what what makes somebody put on a mask and do either heroic or awful things
2: so number two what is this movie really about
1: you know okay that, that and that's a very good question because really you know on the on the surface it's about a man who is a victim of circumstance and who loses his mind slowly and becomes this iconic character we know as joker the bad part about that is that's all it's about it's really not about anything else i mean they ground it in things in reality that we can relate to but the movie's not really about anything other than what I just said.
2: Okay, so for me, this is a movie about the Joker. But it's really about many other things. It's about the system. It's about our government. It's about it's about the way our government treats its people. Uh, people who are ailing of a mental illness. This, mm-hmm. this movie, to me, is about mental illness. And about the way Absolutely. the government treats mental illness patients. They treat them like they're inhuman. And one of the reasons the Joker becomes the Joker is because he no longer finds the help that he needs to get better because no one wants to help him. Either the government's cutting their resources for mental illness or the uh, asylums where these people go get rehab are much worse than it is in real life.
1: Well, you know, I say that I I agree with you 100%, but you're leaving out one, very important thing that it touches upon and that is this crazy person ends up getting easy access to a deadly weapon in the hands of a crazy person you know it it could be argued that 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 this person is saying that you know we have to be very careful who we allow or put guns in the hands of whether it's metaphorically or specifically so uh, or, or, you know, literally. So I, I think if, you know, though there is controversy about it glorifying violence, I think on the other hand, it's also a cautionary tale.
2: I think the film really is about a mentally ill person who's been wronged by society in many right. ways. Right. You know, and I started looking at myself. What would happen if I was honestly working at a job, uh, holding up a sign? and saying, hey, guys, uh, there's a, a new launch of a new store here. Here's a sign that tells you where to go. I'm here just being a clown, trying to be funny, trying to entertain you while you walk by. And, and then, a bunch of
1: Latino kids jump
2: you. And then a bunch of Latino kids jump you. And then he gets fired for someone else lying over something he didn't do. So we go back and forth about the injustices, the unfair treatment of, uh, of these people who are trying to just fit in into society and society rejects them because he's not beautiful. The subtext, the underlayer of that whole film was the way society treats mentally ill people.
1: Well, I, I agree with you. Uh, I, I think that that was clearly, I mean, Joker's insane. I mean, he always has, I mean, in my head, I heard. But he wasn't
2: West. insane when the movie began. Yeah. He was he being was. treated.
1: He was. He was. Listen to me. He insane is maybe a strong term. He had mental issues and he was on his medication. Like you said in the storyline, he loses the ability to get his medication. He goes. He ostensibly he goes off his meds. You know, and 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 that's his downfall. You know. Then he really succumbs to all his delusions and whatnot. But you know, at the same time, just to play devil's advocate with you, these themes have been done before in in. Arguably, better films like Taxi Driver or King of Comedy or, or true, Fight Club, true, or, you know. So you know, those are films that have tackled this issue in a unique way. Now, putting that putting that layer of social commentary into uh, uh, again, I'll call it a graphic novel, a comic book movie, uh, I think makes it um, interesting. But my question then to you is Does that make it relevant? Do you feel that Joker is relevant in any way?
2: There is no bigger, more iconic villain in the no, DC universe than the Joker. So he is relevant. Um, I, I think that people, what they're really well, asking relevant
1: is in the DCI, DC universe. I'm saying is the film. And, and and Joker is the film of any relevance.
2: The fact that we've never had a proper backstory on him. Right. You'll see many, many dozens of reasons of why this guy gone mad. One of them is that his mom mistreated him. He put him in, uh, you know, in, in front of a radiator while she left and then came back and he was chained to a radiator. Those things will make anybody insane. Mommy issues, man. Mom was crazy. So when you, you you almost sympathize with the character see this is the problem sympathizing with a maniac i'm sure i mean we've heard the stories of hitler was a nice little boy he wanted to be an artist and then he went off the chains and then read nietzsche and then that was it so people can be good like murderers and maniacs can be good people can have a past where they were good but then slowly, I think the curiosity, which has no morals, the curiosity wants to understand how you became bad. This is a, a psychologist would love to see a film like this. Well,
1: that that's why I compare it to a movie like Monster or, or even Breaking Bad. Like how does someone ostensibly good who's trying to do good become so bad, so iconically mm-hmm. bad? And and I think. Like I said, I I wondered why they made the movie. After I saw the movie, I, I realized why they made the movie. You know, uh, I I think it's I think it's a good movie. I think it's absolutely worth seeing. I think Joaquin Phoenix is uh, gives a fantastic performance. But I will still say I do not know. I mean, in terms of DC and the DC universe, they did need to get something right. You know on, on a consistent basis, right. uh, starting to compare Joker to taxi driver or fight club or, you know, any of these iconic films in some ways is wrong because those films were just about, you know, real life people where this is a, is a, you know, is essentially a fantasy that they're grounding in reality. But at the same time, there are a huge and a ton amount of iconic moments in Joker that you know are going to be and revisit and it enter right. the and revisit it and enter the lexicon of of, of our language. you like you you watch it and when it happens you're like wow I know the people are gonna the jump dude on is this. obviously you know damaged
2: I mean? but I don't think he's damaged because he was born damaged. I think society damaged him and then never wanted to repair him. And that is the story I, of
1: I disagree with that. I, I disagree with that. I think that he was damaged to begin with.
2: How okay, are you born uh, damaged? Uh, like that like like how well, do you how you're not just born a murderer are you
1: all right well true you're not born a murderer but i would say maybe i shouldn't say born that way i should say we do find out and i don't want to give away too much that he's had things happen to him his entire life from childhood yeah on, that formed
2: him into exactly who he is. that that allowed him to open you know that part of himself i hate to say this but it's true I felt sympathy for Joaquin Phoenix's Joker, where I didn't feel sympathy for Heath Ledger's. I enjoyed the way how cruel he was uh, and how clever he was. In this particular case, I didn't feel that he was clever. I didn't feel that he was really funny or that he was engaging or thrilling. I felt sad for him and I felt fear for him. I felt like he was so unpredictable that I couldn't, tell the difference between when he was being calm or a calmness that was being feigned so he can kill um
1: I, I agree with you and I think that that was the point of the. Movie.
2: and I think that's, I think that's Phoenix's that acting, acting that allows that nuance that that very subtle uh skill to kind of come through the film
1: I agree I agree his 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 role his performance has a lot of tension to it because you, you don't know at what point he might explode. And the other thing about the violence, you know, he doesn't, I, I mean, you say he kills through it. There really aren't that many killings by the Joker, but the reality is each one is effective. Each one, there's a buildup and a payoff. You know, the setup, build up, and payoff. The killings, yeah. Those killings, to killings. So, And they're know, extremely again, impactful, like, man.
2: Holy moly, well, when they, they, they happen, you're like,
1: whoa, what just happened? Right, and that's what, uh, that's what gives power to it. I don't think it's glorifying violence., uh, you know, but, you know, I do think it is um sudden and unexpected like violence can be in real life.
2: I don't think this movie is for everyone. If you're someone who suffers from watching the news and it you got nightmares by seeing people killed on screen and you hate violence in any movie, Please stay away from this movie. You have no, 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 no reason to to watch this movie. But if you're like a a fanboy and you and you're a part of that culture, then this movie is authorish It's cinematic. It's it's a movie movie with an incredible performance. Um, and I think it's an incredible setup for Robert Pattinson's Batman that's coming out in 2020.
1: Well, I don't know that they're in the same specific universe. They have uh, to be. Uh, Bruce
2: Wayne uh, dude, is all over it. Dude. The Waynes are all over it.
1: Listen, they are and and I hope you're right. I hope you're right. I I'd, I'd love to see this Joker return as the Joker we know him to be and we understand what happened in the intervening years. Uh but, you know, I I you know, I I if if it doesn't happen, I'm voting for you
2: to run <laughs> Warner Brothers I okay. would love it I would love it after these messages we'll be right back here are three land tracks you might want to add to your playlist this weekend Te Quiero Ver Manu Manso featuring Faith Freak, Vicentico. <laughs> <mira>, no <laughs> algo 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 no siento Cato, 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 Let's talk Latin Grammys. I'm not sure if you heard what happened uh, recently. This was shocking to me, man, because I thought we kind of got over this. Back in 2000, regional Mexican uh, fans and regional Mexican record labels also lambasted the Latin Grammys for uh, classism, racism, et cetera, et cetera. As you know, Hispanics are very racist amongst themselves. I don't think that's, you know, illuminating or anything. I I think we've known that for years. I mean, in this particular case, the controversy is with the Latin Grammys who um, the urban music artists basically got really riled up because not only was their music not nominated within the categories of best record and best song of the year and best album of the year, they felt that there would be no Grammys if it weren't for urban music and reggaetoneros. Absolutely. Absolutely. But here's my defense for that, Mike. My defense for that is this. The Grammys is not a popularity contest. Yeah, you sell a lot of records. Yeah, you get the most amount of airplay on radio. But that's the billboards. That's the one that they say... How good you are, depending on how many records you sold. Maybe even how many social media followers have played you. How many YouTubes and Spotify plays you've gotten. This is not about that. This is about peers. Your own peers. Musicians, producers, uh, singer-songwriters, guitarists. Anybody that's in the business of music is choosing whether they will vote for you or not. And here's what they've said resoundingly. tone is ghetto. It's for poor people. It's not for upscale, rich, affluent people. It's good to have a booty call. It's good to get down and dirty. It's good to dance. But it's not good to associate my brand with necessarily. You want... Uh, acoustic music, alternative music, you want rock and Espanol, you want pop music, traditional, you want Latin jazz, you want anything that's not being played on radio, but more on Spotify and streaming services, that's the music that most of the peers want. Listen, I spoke to Rudy Perez, one of the most iconic songwriters of the last 30 years of our generation. And when I said to him, Hey, you mostly write love songs. How do you feel about the reggaeton business? I mean, when reggaeton's hot, Rudy isn't. Is this bad for business? And he's like, let me tell you something, man. I understand reggaeton. I just don't understand the level of popularity that it has. Uh, Because I I don't think that music represents all Latin music. And he's right, Mike. Listen, I still have a problem with reggaeton it all sounds the same. It's slightly, I feel like it's now evolving. It's starting to sound a little different. But Daddy Yankee, Nicky Jam, J Balvin, all these people went on record on their Instagram pages and said, you guys got it all wrong. We need to dominate the song of the year. We've been pushing Latin music into the mainstream. And I get their argument. Jimmy Fallon, has put on so many Latino artists singing in Spanish on a show. Dude, it's blown my mind. Stephen Colbert doesn't do that. Jimmy Kimmel does it somewhat. But Jimmy Fallon really has put these guys mainstream. Um, NBC too. Ozuna was an America's Got Talent. Juanes and Alicia Cara were singing in Spanish. They're thinking, if we're cracking through the mainstream, the impossible to get to mainstream, then... Why aren't we being respected by our own peers for that incredible breakthrough? Because if we break through, so will you. That's sort of like the the idea. And honestly, Mike, I don't know who's right and who's wrong here.
1: I, I liken this whole situation to the regular Grammys and the Oscars is that, you know, the what you mentioned before, the classism and the elitism and, and you know, I, I mean... Uh, to me, I feel that Daddy Yankee, Maluma, J Balvin, they, I think they're all correct. I, I think they're correct in that they should call these people out because the longer they don't, I mean, if you remember, rap's been around 40 years now, but it took a uh, it took quite some time. And when they first gave out that rap award at the Grammys, uh, they did it for the pre-show. So everybody like you know will Smith at the time and and some other rappers who were who were big at the time they didn't come even though they they ended up winning awards because they weren't even going to be shown or, or on broadcast so mm-hmm. I think I think there is that you know you you mentioned conservatives so my question would be I mean I, you saw the statement that the Latin Grammys released yeah. in response to this yes okay and so to me uh I feel like You know, they said this uh, The Latin Academy, uh, you know, belongs to its members from all genres and our doors are always open. Together we can make it work. Let's do it. So my question is how many, you you know, you said, oh, this is being judged by your peers. Well, it's the same thing with the Oscars, yet uh, many... You know, performers of color were not being acknowledged. Let's forget how many films they could actually get to be in. They weren't being acknowledged until there was protest, till there was, you know, a, a stand or a boycott. So to me, I feel that they have to do this for the Latin Grammys to evolve and acknowledge them and take certain things into consideration. But the other question I had, the real question I have for you is. Who are the members now? Who are voting? What's the demo of those who are voting? You say musicians?
2: I don't think who? they're reggaetoneros. <laughs>
1: I don't think there's one reggaetonero.
2: I don't I don't think so and they said, "Hey, come think, on, right. come on to our academy and well, change that's it." What they said?
1: Then then I hope you are uh, applying now, Jack, cuz you should be on the film. I
2: never thought of that, but you know what? I might actually just do that. You should.
1: What are you kidding? You better. I, I'll be
2: I, I'll be on your ass. All right. You know what? Next year, I'm going to be there and I'm going to vote, man. Seriously, I think I'm going to do it. Um, I did want to ask you another question that is also part of this controversy is Spaniards versus Latinx. Mm. So this comes all the way from the VMAs, the MTV VMAs, where Rosalia, who is a Spaniard from Barcelona, is not Latina in any way. Latinos are from Latin America. Latinx is born Latino in the United States. Latin and Spanish
1: are two different things, aren't they?
2: Latino is anybody that was born in Latin America, right? Right. So I would say anybody from so, the South, from from Mexico all the right. way down to Argentina, is Latin right. America, so, including Brazilians. But so Spanish, these are the Latin.
1: These are Latin Grammys, not the Spanish. Grammys.
2: These are the Latin Grammys. Okay. These are okay. The, just, the the, just the Latin clarify. Grammys. Yep. These are the Latin Grammys. And so, NTV gave Rosalía the Best Latin uh, Music Award. People went a little crazy on on, on Twitter because they were like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. If you're giving away the best Latino award, she's not Latino. Right. She's a Spaniard. And we know what Spaniards are. Spaniards are white Europeans who happen to talk Spanish.
1: Right. Like Alejandro Sanz.
2: Exactly. Alejandro Sanz is one of the most nominated Spaniards with eight nominations at the Latin Grammys. Rosalía has five. She's the hot new thing. But a lot of people are calling this cultural appropriation. Rosalia, flamenco is what you should be playing. That is your country's uh, folk music. Reggaeton doesn't belong to you. You're taking it as your own, and you're adding Spaniard uh, chords and Spaniard layers, but that doesn't make it reggaeton. So the fact that you're now taking the awards of the people from Puerto Rico and Colombia that are putting reggaeton on the map and that have allowed you to be famous. Right, right. You know what? Screw you and screw Alejandro for taking over our Latin Grammys. Go go stick to your Spaniard Grammys if you have one, but don't come to America and take it ours. Here's my sort of opinion on that. Yeah, they're not Latin, and maybe the Latin Grammys should be called the Hispanic Grammys, and maybe the best Latin award should be called the best Hispanic award. Uh, because that would kind of solve this issue. Look, let me tell you this. I I, I spoke to Javier Bardem, and one day I said, look, Javier, uh, Latinos love you. They love your acting. They love your movies. They feel like you're a Latino. He's like, I feel like I'm a Latino too. What happens when you leave Spain and you come to the United States of America, you're no longer seen as Latin, uh, as a Spaniard. You're now in the group of Hispanics that we treat as foreign. The white man doesn't give two hoots about you. You speak Spanish, you're Latino. Stop trying to give me the technicalities. I don't care for it. You speak Spanish, you're going to be in that Latin category. And Spaniards have kind of rolled along with that. They're like, okay, it's cool to be Latino, Um Before, I'm not sure if you know about the caste system, Spaniards created a caste system to kind of divide humans into categories. And they go from the top down and from the down to the top. And you have to fit many criteria. But we all know that if you're white, Hispanic, and you live a very privileged life in your own Latin American country or in Spain, and you come to the United States, that privilege, that white privilege is gone It's erased. It's deleted. You minus will be just another immigrant that crossed the border. That's problematic for them. That's a psychological assault on the senses. So they feel like they have no other choice but to become a part of the mass of Spanish speakers that happen to be mostly Latino. So there's an adjustment that happens very quickly. Spaniards become Latinos, and they speak like Latinos, and they hang out with Latinos. Uh, if they're going back home, if they're just visiting, they're still Spaniards, but they, if they live here, these Spaniards become Latin Americans to a certain extent, and they interact and work and 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 become romantically involved with other Latinos and Latinas, and bro, Spaniards are become Latinos. So all of a sudden, for Latinos to say, no, no, I don't want to work with Alejandro Sanz, who wouldn't want to? Who wouldn't want to work with Rosalia? You know, a, a vivacious singer who dances, who comes up with great beats. She's an artist, man. And, and, and I like her. Uh, my wife's Spaniard. I'm Colombian, Colombian-American. And I feel like we're all in this together. And this is the problem about the Hispanic market, man. We're not together. We, we constantly divide each other why, why can't we just be one, a unified voice? Spanish speakers trying to lift music and our language, music into the mainstream. But it just seems like we have no interest in wanting to do that.
1: When you say we, which we are you talking about the, are the people who are in control of the music industry or the people who consume? No,
2: music? Latinos, Latinos overall, Latinx's. You know that 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 feel that that there that there's this divide. I'm calling for unification, not division
1: first question is it seems to me that the ongoing goal within the latino community uh you know like it or not is to be accepted by the dominant culture in this country absolutely so that's why uh somebody like bruno mars wins at the grammys because he though he embraces his culture he's he's also
2: but he also doesn't identify as a puerto rican
1: Right. That's my point. He doesn't. He crosses over into just pop. Yeah. And, and has all the references of quote unquote pop music, which could be Michael Jackson. It could be, you know, the Bee Gees. It could be anything. Where does a Bruno Mars fit into this equation?
2: Bruno Mars to me isn't really Latino. Once you don't, if you don't speak the language and you don't identify with the culture, you're not Latino. Like, stop people telling me that Lupita Nyong'o is Mexican. She's not. She was born in Mexico, perhaps by mistake. And you can't then inherit the history of that culture, country, language, customs into your life immediately. You are not where you're born. You are where you grew up for years. Well, you are where you grew up, and and
1: sometimes you are where you become popular.
2: Yeah, listen, I, I've had problems in my own life identifying either as an American or as a Colombian. Look, if I if I say I'm I'm, I'm only Colombian to people, Colombians will tell me, "Bro, you're a far stretch from just being purely Colombian. You're more American than you are Colombian." I'm like, oh, okay, then I'm American. And then I walk around telling America I'm American. And they go, no, you're not, dude. You're foreign. You're like exotic. I don't know what you're. You sound American. You act American. But you don't look American. And we all know that what American really looks like to a lot of people here. It's white. And I'm not white. So dude, where the fuck do I belong, Mike? See, that's the problem.
1: Well, you know, I, I have to say I understand exactly what you're saying. Uh, I, in my own way, from my own people. Uh, I've definitely grew up, you know, being an outsider. I wasn't black enough, you know, but clearly I wasn't white and I wasn't trying to be white, but I didn't get completely accepted by either side. So I can totally relate to what you're saying.
2: So I think this is part of the problem of, of the music scene as well. A lot of people don't know where they should fit where they should be, what kind of music, is my accent good enough, will it be accepted, what's the criteria, Um, and, and, and because there's no memo being sent out, we're all kind of figuring it out together, but I think ultimately, look, this controversy, yes, it has its merit, but all of us Hispanics, we need to unify, we need to be one voice if we're ever going to make real change in this country.
1: Okay. I I can't say I disagree with that in any way, but do you equate this as I do to the regular Grammys, you know, where, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, Macklemore won over Kendrick Lamar, you know? Oh, absolutely.
2: uh, I I feel that there's a problem in the the mainstream uh, Grammys with the fact that hip hop and rap artists rarely get any love. In the yeah, main even though,
1: categories, even though for at least two years they're the most consumed on the planet,
2: absolutely, and I think it's the same thing with reggaeton. I, I, I think they're, they're they're drawing their motivation and inspiration from what happened to African Americans with hip hop music, and how hip hop music is probably the most consumed music in the United States over country. Yet that popularity does not seem to sway. Elitist. Well, he's, as a matter
1: of fact, I think they resent the popularity. As a matter of fact, you look at, yeah. it's only been in recent years that Oscar will, and I say recent, last 10, 20 years, where Oscar, and, and, and you look at the length that Oscar's been around, where Oscar acknowledges the movies, you know, generally the Oscar winning movies are the movies that made the least amount of money in the year of, of big budget films. Mm-hmm. They, they won awards, but they didn't make a lot of money. And generally the films that made a ton of money are dismissed as being commercial and nothing. And, you know, Titanic was, it was a, a, a windfall for it to, to make all that money and still be, you know, win what it did. And that kind of changed things. But prior to that, it was generally all the Oscar bait that came out, all the highbrow, intellectual, great performance stuff. But the films that made the most money never got nominated. That's why genre films rarely ever got nominated.
2: It's, it's a sad state of affairs to hear so much controversy coming out of something that I thought was going to be... Uh a moment of, of union, you know, on Mm. a music level, you know, and if this is the way it's going to be with everything else, then I don't know if I want to be a part of it, man. Seriously.
1: Well, let me, let me ask you to me, the solution would be what we were discussing earlier for all these reggaeton artists, all these Urbano artists, all these Latin trap artists, you know, and producers, especially to become members of of the Academy, uh, including Jack Rico. Uh, <laughs> but what do you what do you think is a solution to to leveling the playing ground and unifying?
2: The, the, I think we need more reggaetoneros as a, as as Grammy voters. Number one. Uh, number two. I think the Academy themselves uh, need to sort of almost Universal demand arts. that they get on board uh, in order to have more of an equal playing field. Listen, a lot of about music in the Latin industry is about collaboration. And once you start limiting collaboration, then the music stagnates. I think that the beautiful thing about Spaniards and Latinos working together is that you have about, what, 26, 27 countries in Latin America. And you also have all of Spain that has a whole different culture. Uh, yes, there's history. There's there's violent history uh, be- between those two uh, continents uh, in, in, in in Latin America and Spain, but musically, didn't don't they say that you, music is a universal language? The ability to stop Latinos working with Spaniards, the way Camila Cabello has worked with Alejandro Sanz for one of the songs that is now record of the year. That's beautiful, man. You wouldn't hear Camila Cabello singing in Spanish. And you wouldn't hear her singing a love slow ballad, Alejandro Sanz-like. You wouldn't have that if it wasn't for collaboration. But this is setting borders. This is setting division. And I just hope that goes away. I hope people really don't focus on that. And I hope there's more conversations about why we should be collaborating more. Why there should be more voices of urban music within you know, the uh, the elitist voices within the land Grammys.
1: See, I think besides running DC, you should also be running <laughs> Latin
2: Grammys. <laughs> well, that's what I'm going to say about that. And that's that, Mike. Right. <laughs> Thank you very much for being on. Uh, you can catch Mike on WBAI Radio, and you can also catch him on Fox Business News with Maria Bartiromo. I just heard that she got extended, which means she did. that you are going to be extended too.
1: Well, actually I'm gonna be on I'm not gonna be on her show, but I'm gonna be on Fox Business News tomorrow morning talking about
2: Joker. Ooh. Okay, please send us the link. I'll post it all over. That way we have a right. a really good uh we could we could watch you talk about the Joker. Not just listen to you, but watch you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Was that a good Joker laugh?
1: That's that's pretty good. We need we need
2: a Lat we need a Latin joker. A Latin Joker. A Latin Joker. Yeah, I'm, I'm up for the role, man.
1: Wait, is there is there a Latin word for Joker? Or what about clown? What's a. Latin
2: payaso. Word payaso. Tu eres un payaso.
1: Payaso. <laughs> In theaters now. It's Jack Rico
2: Oh, God. Oh, God. Heavens, no. All right, Mike. All right, man. Talk soon, buddy. And that's it for episode 127 of the Highly Relevant Podcast. I want to thank Mike Sargent for dropping by. And if you'd like to support this podcast, please spread the love on social media and tell all your friends about it. You can reach me on Instagram at jackrico and my Facebook page at JackRico40. Remember, it's only through your support that our show can grow. I'm Jack Rico. See you next week on another episode of Highly Relevant.